Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight in the Whiskey Society at Seven Grand, we had Balcones in the house with my good buddy Winston Edwards coming in from Texas. Speaking of Texas, we tried the Balcones Texas Single Malt. We tried their 100% rye. We tried their French Oak Single Barrel. And we tried the Balcones Seven Grand Single Barrel, launching that here in downtown Los Angeles in the Bar Jackalope in the back room at Seven Grand. Be sure to tell your friends about our podcast. If they want to learn more about spirits, this is their place to come. We love it. You should love it too. Always remember to enjoy this podcast responsibly. That means don't be lining up tasters on your dashboard during rush hour. Totally irresponsible. Now, this is awesome. We recently opened up the Seven Grand in Austin, and you were there for helping out with the, getting that going. Is yeah, yeah, I've done a couple society tastings there, and uh, yeah. But it's been like two years since you were back in here doing the probably yeah the whiskey I think so. here in LA. Unless it, it was got you stretched early. out all over the place. Oh man, you know it. Just going from coast to coast every week. It seems like. So you're the national brand ambassador, and now you're also in charge of the single barrel national program, single barrel program, which is what we're going to get into tonight. Uh, absolutely, yeah. We're going to get really deep into single barrels <laughs> tonight. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but more importantly, um, Balcones. If, if you're not familiar with the brand, it's been around now for a minute. This somebody's eleven years. Kind of, eleven years, 11 years. in the craft distilling movement currently booming in the United States those that means they're old they're like they're like a pillar of the craft distilling uh, you know we're the second so wave we're the second wave second you wave. know there's the St. George's and the McCarthy's and, okay, and everyone else that came before and then Balcones is kind of like the second wave when it started to get you know somewhat popular and now I think we're in the third wave where everyone's jumping in on it and there's a new distillery popping up every other week, it sounds like. Right. We have there's some we had Garrison brothers in the house recently. Yeah. Oh great. So more Texas whiskey, but yeah. you guys are way before Garrison Brothers. Ah, it's a funny story actually. They had their distillery first. Oh really? Garrison started distilling before we did. The difference is, is that we got Baby Blue to market before their bourbon was ready to sell. Were you using smaller barrels? We were using barrels? small barrels. We were doing a lot of really interesting experiments, to say the least. Uh, not least of which is uh, the small barrels, of course. But yeah, we were going for we were going for a different angle. You know, uh, Garrison Brothers wanted to make bourbon, and bourbon has a specific profile, and that takes time to get to. In our case, we made uh, blue corn whiskey, and no one really did that before, so we get to kind of make up what it was supposed to taste like. Uh, but we released our stuff uh, at a much younger age, so we've got a number of different reasons for that. But you know, Baby Blue specifically is a whiskey that's about the ingredients, not necessarily so much about the barrels, which bourbon tends to be. Bourbon is obviously great, but the flavor is really centric around the oak, not necessarily about the mash bill. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's some quality be qualities to be derived from the mash bill, but it's not really like the dominating character. And Baby Blue was something that we wanted to come in and be very ingredient forward and actually taste like exactly what it was made from, which was 100% blue corn mash bill. Which is what whiskey's all about. But to wrap your head around that, like in terms of craft distillers, like to try to come to market in a time when you've got amazing American whiskeys that are, you know, the best whiskey in the world was that Henry McKenna tenure this year. That's a $35 bottle of whiskey at your liquor store. Best whiskey in the world, okay? 
So how, as a new distillery trying to get some space on your local liquor store shelves, can you compete with someone like Heaven Hill, who can spill more whiskey down their drain than you can make <laughs> in a full day, you know? Like, they, they have accidents that are bigger than your daily output, I imagine, when you're, when you're first starting yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. But the way to do it is by shifting the focus from the barrel to the mash bill, and also, initially, to use smaller barrels. So what we're gonna get into tonight is talking about kind of these different maturation methods, and we're gonna get really specific and nerd out in the world of single barrels. But importantly to understand, when you, when you talk about using a smaller barrel, you can kind of take your kind of predisposed ideas of what the texture and flavor of the whiskey and the age statement especially, all that just goes completely out the window because you're so used to hearing people talk about, oh, this is a nine-year-old bourbon. Well, that's, they're referring to a 53-gallon barrel, 200 liters, you know? These guys have been not playing in that realm. The entire time since their inception, they were first starting off with really, really small barrels, creating this like amazing organic baby blue corn whiskey, and now playing a lot with wine casks that are actually larger than the 53-gallon barrels. So again, playing completely kind of taking apart what you might think of American whiskey flavor profile structure to be. Is that is that fair? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And they're wine grade casks to clarify on that, not okay. literal X wine barrels. They are coming from the wine cooperage. So they're literally the barrels that they build for the winemakers versus the ones they build for the whiskey makers, which they do all in Kentucky, but all of ours are built in Missouri oh, at okay. their cooperage over there. So that's all independent stave. And we're going to get all of Missouri. Yeah, we're going to get, it's, you know, apparently uh, they have two cooperages. One is Lebanon, Kentucky. The other one is Lebanon, Missouri. <laughs> I don't know how that came about. They're, they're I haven't independently verified it either, know, but so. that's what people tell me. Okay, maybe it's a parallel universe thing. I don't know. I guess so. I guess um, so. You, what's your standard expressions that you guys are currently? Uh, we're getting to yeah. the single barrel thing, but what if I'm going to the liquor store and I'm looking for balconies and I'm living in a small town? and I don't know anything about the single barrel program, what are your standard expressions right now? You're probably gonna find Baby Blue, which was our original whiskey, the first Texas whiskey on the market. Um, all 100% blue corn, aged in refill barrels, very light, sweet, and buttery. Texas Single Malt, which is our flagship whiskey and the one that we're gonna really deconstruct tonight. That one's definitely gonna you know, hopefully be sold in. Uh, we have a new rye whiskey that is just flying off the shelves right now, and we also just launched our new pot still bourbon, which is our newest whiskey. Um, that is actually kind of an amalgamation of a bunch of our other whiskeys because it uses the blue corn from the blue corn whiskeys, it uses the barley from Texas single malt, and it uses the rye from Texas rye plus some winter wheat, so it's a four grain whiskey all distilled in pot stills, all aged in the same high quality oak barrels that we use for things like the single malt and the rye and everything else. Uh, we're taking a slightly different approach. We've actually distilled three separate mash bills. So one thing that we got kind of a bug for a uh, couple years ago was to make actual multi-grain bourbon. So we made a bunch of weeded bourbon, we made a bunch of high rye bourbon, and we made some blue corn bourbon, which we've been doing for several years now. But when it came time to do something that was a little bit more accessible, we said, well, we've made all this other whiskey that we were planning for special releases, but we could kind of divert it in this other way and create a lot of it and have it come at a really you know, accessible price point. But it's taking these three distinct mash bills made of all the ingredients from different Balcones whiskeys and then blending them after the fact. 
Interesting. So they're all straight bourbons in their own right, but some of it's 100% blue corn, some of it's blue corn, Texas rye, and Scottish barley, and some of it's blue corn, Texas wheat, and Scottish barley. And where is your distillery located in Texas? Waco. Waco? Waco. Okay. I'm not going to say, I'm not making any jokes about Waco. What? There's no jokes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. You're right. There's no jokes. Oh, I know what you're thinking. No. I know what you're thinking. What? That's where Dr. Pepper was invented. That's, no. Um, well, it's true. Okay, that's yeah. cool. Just so you know. So do you guys grow plums or prunes down there? <laughs> not that I'm aware of. Not, not, that I'm, not that I'm aware of. So what is the, the Rack House kind of atmosphere down there? What, what is the kind of the so, environment down in Waco that makes it, it, do you guys have super high evaporation in your Rack Houses or is it, I mean, give us an idea of the climate. It's and really unique. And let me just kind of take you step by step through. This is going to be a combination of how we've aged our whiskey in the past and how we're doing it now. And this is going to be kind of like the elevator talking about the history of the distillery at the same time. So we started in a 2,400 square foot building under a bridge, basically the size of seven grand. We shoehorned a whiskey distillery into it. This is back in 2008. And we started pot distilling blue corn whiskey, single malt whiskeys, and all this weird stuff. And we were aging barrels like in shipping containers outside, in the kitchen, next to the stills, like all the places you're not supposed to age barrels. And they were all the little five gallon ones. And eventually we bought in 2011 the Texas Fireproof Storage Building, which was uh, the site of the new distillery. But at that point, we didn't have the money to actually convert it into another distillery. We just kind of needed some storage space for barrels because we were running out of room. They're literally coming out of our ears. So we bought this building, 65,000 square feet, 25 times larger than where we were at. And we started aging whiskey over there. And it's a four-story building built in 1923, back when architectural standards were maybe not as advanced. So they just built things thicker and bigger to accommodate for that. So this building is like a foot of concrete with foot wide steel beams and a foot of brick on the outside. And it is literally intended as a fireproof storage facility. Tornado proof too. So it is like tornado proof. There is a massive uh, slew of tornadoes in 53 that wiped out most of Waco. And this is one of the few buildings that actually survived. Um, but it's four stories and it's not temperature controlled, uh, at least at that point. Uh, none of the floors were temperature controlled. And on the fourth floor, you'd have temperatures upwards of 140 degrees in the middle of summer. And this thing, we had a little bit of a lag when it came to temperature, but if it stayed hot for a long time, that building would hold that heat throughout the entire night. And then you'd finally have that crash, because in Texas, the weather's a little schizophrenic. Obviously, it's cold in the winter and it's hot in the summer, but the spring and fall, the temperature gauge is just like up and down all over the place. Yeah, the and joke that, is that if you don't like the weather in Texas, wait five wait minutes. Five minutes exactly, exactly. So uh, that obviously has a massive impact on the barrels as far as how much it evaporates and how quickly it extracts from the cask. And that also is going to tie into how it oxidizes inside the barrel. Um, but then eventually we started actually converting that building into a distillery. So previously we had barrels laid out everywhere. The first floor, the second floor, the third floor, and the fourth floor. We've since cannibalized all the first floor space and turned that into our new distillery, which we opened in 2016. Uh, like I said, 25 times larger than we were before, which is pretty amazing. 
Um, and we only now age actually on the third and fourth floor of that building. But that's not nearly as much space as we need because for one, we switched entirely to full-size barrels. So we're actually not using the five gallon casks anymore. We're using 60 gallon, which is slightly larger than your average uh, bourbon cask, which are 53. Um, so we need a lot more space for those, obviously. Uh, so we actually built some rick houses outside of town. Uh, just about 15 minutes northwest of the distillery in a little town called Bellmead. And now we have something like 11,000 barrels worth of storage over there, whereas the old distillery, or sorry, the new distillery, the aging floors can hold about like 4,000, I want to say. So we have limited space on the new site, but the external rickhouses that we have now can obviously store quite a bit of whiskey for us to produce over the next five, 10 years. And we've got room to grow beyond that too. And with that upsizing, you guys now have a single barrel program, which is what Stephanie just came around with for you guys. This is some of your flagship, but not the standard bottling batch. This is your Texas single malt, single barrel, right? The first yes, one? so uh, traditionally we age our single malt in a combination of different cask styles, and this is uh, basically broken down into different species of oak, basically where the wood is coming from and the actual you know, natural variety that it is. So one of those is American oak. American oak should be something that everyone here is familiar with because the vast majority of whiskey is aged in American oak, including all bourbon for the most part and a lot of scotch whiskeys as well because they age their malts in used bourbon casks very, very often. Um, in our case, we use a fair amount of American oak. I'd say it accounts for about you know, 75% of the stock of the wood in the distillery. Um, in Texas single malt, we're aging in a combination of American oak, French oak, and European oak. And American oak is kind of the DNA of the whiskey in a way because it is gonna be about two-thirds American oak barrels uh, when we are picking them out for a blend or for a batch. Um, and this is kind of what we're tasting right now is the deconstructed version of the single malt starting with the American oak, which is gonna give you kind of the very expected flavors from whiskey, the vanillas, the caramels, maybe a little bit of nuts or spice. Well, let's find out together. So you can stick your nose in that glass, breathe in gently through your mouth, and tell me what you're reminded of. What do you think of as you smell this? Caramel. Caramel, okay. Maple. Maple. Pecan, nice. She just have Texas on the brain right now. Right? It's probably worth mentioning, just to give everyone ample warning, these are all cast strength whiskeys that we're tasting tonight. Okay, yes. That's good news. <laughs> that right. is good news, that is good news. But everything you're gonna taste tonight is gonna be in the range of about 64 or 65% alcohol, so. So you're gonna get really happy really fast. Um, so drink water, there are watercrafts on every table. And I mean, you can also, if it's really, really too hot for you, you can add one drop into that. But I, when you're talking about such a small amount of whiskey, be really careful with the water because one drop to two drops, that's a huge difference. You can completely change the flavor profile of, of a tasting sample in that simple 100% uh, you know, increase of water from one drop to two. Really, it's, it's, it's remarkable. But what are you guys getting also here? Single malt. Texas single malt finished in charred American oak. It's all aged purely in American oak, so it's a first fill American oak barrel, or in our case, first fill is new. Okay. It's not reused bourbon, but first fill American oak, new charred American oak. So I get very 
kind of bourbon-y flavors from it in a way, actually. Is this uh, what number char on uh, these barrels? We here? tend to go for a very minimal char, so we'd call it more like medium, uh, okay. whereas most of your bourbon distilleries are going to kind of lean more towards like a number four, number five, like alligator char, because they want they want that extra char because that's going to give you more caramelization behind the red layer. In our case, we actually have the barrels toasted as an additional step, which brings out and ameliorates all the caramelization of the sugar. So by bringing more of those sugars to the surface, we're able to caramelize more of them and get better flavors out of that cask. What's the mouth feel for you guys? Tap some over your tongue, what do you guys get? What's the texture of this whiskey? Say again? A long linger? Yep, it's all 100% pot still whiskey, double pot distilled. It's got like huge chocolate notes on it for me, like yeah. caramel yep. and chocolate, like a Rolo. Well, with some red fruit yeah, malt can kind of well. dive into that kind of like chocolatey, malty area, like yeah. really dense and like kind of roasty in a way. So, are you using like a chocolate malt or anything like that? What's the kind? No, of, this is all this is all pale malt. So, this is 100% Golden Promise barley, which Whoa. is kind of a more they call it like a heritage barley or whatever. Ooh, but um, it's uh, something that used to be kind of like the malt of preference in Scotland for the Scotch distilleries, and a lot of them talked about how much they used Golden Promise in the past, but. Over the last 20 or 30 years, newer varieties have been developed that will give you a better return. In other words, more yield or more proof gallons per bushel of grain. More alcohol percentage. Yes. So with Golden Promise, it doesn't have as high as a yield, but it has the ideal flavor for single malt, in our opinion at least. It yeah, has a really, really dense, bready flavor, and it really kind of gives you all the best that malt has to, af uh, has to offer. And are you guys doing a long fermentation? Because this also has an intense fruitiness. So. so our fermentation is pretty unique for several reasons. For one, it is a long fermentation. We're fermenting about a week, which makes sense because the guys that started Balconies all met in a homebrew club. And they knew, like any brewer does, that you can't make good beer in less than a week. So we do a week-long fermentation. But what's interesting about this is that, for one, we utilize different yeast strains for everything. And in some of them, they actually get two different kinds. So the single malt specifically is a combination of M1, which is a very traditional Scotch yeast, um, and then also some British ale yeast as well. So it's a brewer's and a distiller's yeast mixed together. So are you pitching it and then waiting a few days and then pitching a different yeast in They're there? They're pitched at the same time, but where things get interesting is that the yeast part of the fermentation, that microbial activity ends after about four or five days, and then we allow the remainder of the mash to go slightly sour with lactobacillus because this is a bacteria that exists on basically everything around you. And since we don't sterilize our grain prior to going into the fermenter, some of this still exists. It's originally outcompeted by the yeast, so you don't have a propagation of it. But eventually the yeast die off and now the lacto can take over. And that's where you start to get some really interesting esters produced that will eventually form the precursor for fruity and floral aromas in the whiskey down the road during distillation and maturation. So once those esters ethylize, they kind of combine with ethyl alcohol. Awesome, thanks. They will turn into those really kind of nice fruity and also sometimes buttery flavors, like that jammy kind of mm -hmm. creamy quality. Yeah, definitely. I've known that, that lactose sometimes brings a certain creaminess to the mouth. Exactly. Too. So what's the second one that Stephanie just came around with for everybody? It's the French oak. Ooh, the French oak. Yeah, so we're so, going to deep dive into this yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. 
And and these are this is pot still distillate all of it or do you guys 100%. have a hybrid still? We like have no hybrid, no no column at all. It's all 100% pot still. The pot stills all come from Forsyth of Scotland. They build pot stills for Glenmore and G, Balvany, McAllen, all the big Scotch guys, and they do entirely custom work. They'll show you a big book of uh, binder of all the different designs they've done. They're like, great, you can't have any of these. What would you like us to do for you? <laughs> and they had to come up with a relatively custom solution for what we did because in the old distillery, mind you, it's a room that's about as wide as this wall and to the patio wall right there. We had our pot stills over there and we had our condensers over here on the wall. So the line arm is literally coming at an upward angle and is about 19 feet long. And Forsyth Senior said, okay, if you wanna replicate this design, your line arm is gonna go out into the parking lot, basically. <laughs> And we're like, well, that's not gonna work, obviously. So they came up with this custom idea of doing a helical line arm over the top of the wizard hat on the still. So we get the length and the incline of the original line arm, but in something that fits in one building. Really interesting. Fascinating, right? Right, okay, so now this is the French oak. So Texas single malt from Balcones, aged in French, French oak, oak barrels. for how long? New charred oak. Uh, let's not talk about age tonight, actually. Okay. Let's, let's right. talk about age at the very end. It's all right. Let's just have no preconceptions about age. I'm down. And these are, again, the 60-gallon barrels? The 60-gallon French oak, extra fine well. grain. Oh, extra fine grain. Extra fine grain. So that means a slow-growth tree. It's denser wood, so it's going to have more flavor locked away in it. Um, and then it's extra yard age, so it's really well-seasoned from the elements, and then toasted and charred. So to get a sense of what that yard aging does is... Uh, all wood has tannins in it, and especially European oak can be really, really tannic, and you can get a lot of overaged whiskey from that, that French oak. It can take on too much bitterness, too much oak in and a very short amount of time. The tannins also develop over time. As you soften that oak through the yard aging, the tannins turn into finer and finer pieces, so they're more palatable. They're not as astringent or or strong or harsh on the palate. So, and, and they actually fall out in the yardage as well. That like as well, they, they that just, as well. It loses tannin, it loses sap, it loses the so greens, kind of like grassy flavor. As they're seasoning the barrel staves, you can go out there onto the, the yardage and you'll see like a black dust on the ground and that's actually the tannins have been falling out of the wood. So you're making Quite literally. a sweeter wood to make barrels with, essentially. Exactly. By waiting all that time, yep. letting it go through the summer months, through a winter. You guys are doing for more than two years, right? Three years. 36 months, the wood is literally set outside just in stacks before they're even turned into a barrel. And that is a transformative process that softens the tannins, makes the wood taste better to a certain degree through uh, the elements reacting with it, and as well as like a fungal microbial effect on it as well. It's kind of like dry aging meat. Dry aging meat kind of unravels all the proteins of the beef and makes it softer and juicier. It's kind of the same thing, you know? It's like aging the stuff out, like makes it softer and smaller over time. Does it make for leaky barrels? No, no, not at all. The wood is actually taken to a particular moisture point. That's how they know the dry aging is done, basically, is they are waiting for it to get to a certain point, and then that's when they know they can make a barrel out of it. Because they, they're gonna have to take it down to that moisture point regardless, either through yard aging or through kiln drying. Okay. And younger aged wood, six to 12 month old wood, requires kiln drying to remove that excess moisture. But that of course locks in all that green kind of sappy cellulose flavor. Wow, interesting stuff. So what are you guys getting on this? Stick your nose in that glass, breathing gently through your mouth. The Bacones Texas single malt finished in French oak. What are you reminded of? Grapes? 
Right? I, I almost. I, I actually get that. I get like great must. Orange peels. A mustiness. What do you get in day? It's like a stone fruit. I think it's stone fruit. Apricot. Apricot. Pretty common. Pretty common in the single malt. Yeah. Beautiful stuff. And now tap some over your tongue. I, I smells a little bit like sherry to me on the nose. Interestingly enough, a lot of the sherry flavor could be attributed to the style of oak it is because it's Spanish oak instead of ex-bourbon, for instance, uh, in a lot of cases. So if you think about it, a lot of that sherry flavor is probably partially due to the fact that it is actually Spanish oak. Oh, I thought we were doing the French oak on this. No, one. I'm just talking about single malts in general, oh, okay. not, not this. But yeah, it does have kind of a dessert wine quality to it. I'm also getting like a coffee, like a dark chocolate and coffee on the finish. What are you guys getting? Dried cherry. Okay, all right. French yeah. oak to me is like a little more like earthy, mm -hmm. and I get a lot of browned butter out of it. Does anyone mm -hmm. get browned butter? Just like Definitely. kind of like often get that from soft, like slightly burnt character. Mm -hmm. Brown butter, black walnuts. Yep. Some like raspberry character in here as well. Really like dry cinnamon. Cinnamon is beautiful, beautiful. So if I was gonna buy a bottle of these single barrels, now you guys are starting to get these out into the market. Are you selling them to different liquor stores and different bars? If I can find it at a liquor store, how much are these single barrels gonna run me? Uh, I think retail is targeted about $79.99 in all markets, so you should hopefully find it for close to that. Uh, if it's going for exorbitantly more than that, I mean, that's a lot of product to move at a markup like that, but I think everyone that's buying barrels has an incentive to sell it at a good price because it's a lot of whiskey to buy at once. That's a beautiful whiskey, for sure. And now we are going to get into some rye, which is something I'm very excited about. And I'm wanting you to sell us a single barrel of this rye. Let's put that into the single barrel program. You'll be the first You're person right I call, man. Oh. All right, all right. Oh, see, it's that 120 proof. Feeling good already. Tell us about the, the rye here. Is this malted rye, unmalted rye? Are you guys doing anything special with this rye? It is a little bit of everything and a lot of magic, to say the least. So Just magic? It's just a little touch. You guys have a, a little You said touch. you had a wizard's hat. Yes, so exactly. Do you have a wizard there too? Oh yeah, his name is Jared. He's the head distiller. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so tell us about what are some of the magical aspects of this Balcones so, rye whiskey? There's a lot of rye on the market these days. And a lot of it, I think, is very similar tasting. I don't know if you know about this, but a lot of rye out there on the market tastes very similar from each other. Multiple brands out there that taste like almost exactly the same. You mean, are you talking about... MGP, LDI, you're talking about the stuff that's coming you said from it Indiana? On me. Well, there's a lot of brands that are out there that are actually coming from what used to be an old Seagram's plant that were, they became very, very good at making flavoring whiskey for Seagram 7 back in the 80s. And they continue to make rye whiskey in large amounts. And still, to this day, you've got new rye whiskey brands coming to market that are essentially private labels. You guys are not private label. You're making all this yourself. Oh, no. And not to say that MGP doesn't make good whiskey because they make a lot of whiskey. my favorite brands use their whiskey. So right. they've got that going for them. But one thing you have to do when you want to launch a rye whiskey today is do something different. you got to stand out from the pack. And we definitely figured out how to do that ourselves. And it's kind of funny how product development happens at Balcones sometimes. It's like literally a bunch of us on a Friday afternoon 
like stills are done running for the day and we're drinking a bunch of really good rye whiskey, like some Thomas Handy, some Sazerac, some Whistlepig. Like really kind of like looking. We Such have a, a rough trade. We have a really nice, we have a really nice research library at the distillery. Uh, but yeah, you know, we'll sit around and drink some good rye and, and it kind of has this like epiphany moment where it's like, wait, we really like rye whiskey, and there's a distillery through those doors right there. We could make some ourselves. And the next thing you know, the next thing you know, Jared's online ordering the grain. You know, so it's just as simple as that. Sometimes, so we had the idea to do rye whiskey. We wanted to do rye whiskey for a long time, and the new distillery made it possible, thankfully, because we had so much capacity there. So we started making rye, but we had to do our own take on it. So we kind of turn it into like a stout mash bill in a way, and like a really heavy one too. Uh, it's got a base rye in it, which is called Elbin, which is actually grown in Texas. It's legitimate Texas rye, which is not something you really expect Texas to be known for. Um, but that's 80% of the mash. And then the other 20% all comes from a specialty supplier in Germany called Weirman. And they supply us with chocolate malted rye, crystal malted rye, and roasted rye. So the first wow. two varieties are malted. It's not what you're thinking, Stephanie. <laughs> Crystal is also referred to as caramel malt. Okay. Yes. It means I think it usually means it has a higher sugar content, right? Is it? Well, it has to do with the roasting levels, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So chocolate refers to the fact that it's been roasted to a really super heavily. deep, dark color, and it takes on the bitter, roasty qualities of things like chocolate and coffee. So if you're smelling this whiskey and you're getting things like chocolate, coffee, fudge, cacao nibs, that's because we've included that really super dark roasted rye in the mash. Wow. Kind of really turning it on its head for what a rye whiskey is supposed to be because a lot of ryes out there are like pretty spicy, maybe there's some like mint or eucalyptus, and this has a lot more base to it. This doesn't have, it has some of the high end and a lot of the mids, but it's got all the low end that you're looking for. That kind of like deep, roasty, chocolatey quality in addition to the grassy and spicy flavor of rye. And it's all 100% pot still on top of that, which there aren't very many pot still rye whiskeys on the market that's today. That's for sure, that's for sure. So let's let's get into it, you guys. What are you guys getting is you nose this Balcones rye whiskey. And how long is the fermentation on the rye? Because we've heard all kinds of crazy stories about people having difficulty with the fermentation of rye, like foaming vats and et cetera, like it tends to gum up the stills. How, how do you balance that out? Are you able to run the rye there, at the same a, time as the bourbons There's a particular protein in rye grain that gets really gummy when it gets wet, basically, and I'm not a brewing scientist, so I'm not gonna give you the, the super detailed explanation on this, but basically we add an enzyme that is the antithesis of that protein gumming, and it basically unwinds all the proteins, similar to the dry aging kind of analogy I made earlier, um, but this allows it to free flow and not turn into like porridge, basically. Wow. All right, what are you guys getting as you tap this over your tongue? Balcones rye. Pepper? What else, what kind of peppers? Jalapeno. Jalapeno, okay. What else? Green pepper. Day, you got something for me? I'm definitely getting the fudge at the end. Like, yeah. it's very end. Yeah, same. Ooh, definitely. I get that fudge. It smells delicious. It's got a certain grassiness to it as well. Kind of dilly. Yeah, a little dill. And 
Again, is this is this American oak or European oak? It's on all this? American oak. It's all American oak for the rye. We it, it's kind of funny. We you know we do American style things and we do old world style things. You know we do corn whiskeys and we do bourbons and we do rye whiskey. But then we also make single malts and then we've kind of like combined traditions from all these different places and applied them to all of the whiskeys. So. I mean, obviously the whole yard-aged wood, extra fine grain is not something you find in rye whiskey production traditionally, at least not right now. Really, really amazing. And now we've got something very exciting to share with you guys. Stephanie's coming around with our fourth mark. And this is, is this our single barrel? Yeah. It is your single barrel. Recently, we went out to Texas and purchased a single barrel of the Texas single malt for ourselves, which is, means it's only available at seven grand. So we're gonna get into that. This is the official launch of our own single barrel tonight. You guys are some of the first folks in Los Angeles, unless you've been sneaking around and come to Bar Jackal for the last couple of weeks, we just got it in, so very exciting. And we did the, we did, what was the whiskey extravaganza a couple of weeks ago? You yep, guys yep. We brought this, it there. this we out there. It there. So yeah, we had, uh, I want to say, five people from all the different Seven Grands, uh, Los Angeles, San Diego, um, gentleman from Denver, couldn't make it, unfortunately, last minute, crazy catastrophe, scheduling, something, I don't know, couldn't make it at the last minute. So I think it was like four guys uh, from Austin, San Diego, and Los Angeles, and they came and selected a cask from a wide range of barrels that we gave them, and they actually went for a European oak barrel. A European oak barrel, so is that Spanish then? Is, I mean, because like you said, actually, French and European, but I thought France was part of Europe, right? No? It, it is actually Hungarian oak. Hungarian oak, so that's what I'm getting at. That's very, very different kind of wood. So tell us, what are we gonna look for in that Hungarian oak, this is gonna be interesting. So what I find is that Hungarian oak, it's the same species commonly as what's used in the French oak. It's just different climates and different soil and everything else, but it's uh, Quercus Cecile. Um, the difference with the Hungarian oak, of course, is that it grows in a different region and it's growing in different soil, which is going to give it different flavors. And it's not as highly in demand as French oak, so it tends to be significantly less expensive, closer to American oak. I find that the flavor profile actually sits between American oak and French oak. It's got a lot of the deep earthy tannin that French oak does, but it also has some kind of the sweet caramely character of American oak with some nice kind of dried fruits laid up in between. So I get some kind of very definite fruity qualities. I'll let people pick out the more distinct flavor. All right, all right. Peter, what are you getting? Spearmint. Spearmint? Mint chocolate, I get that too. Mint chocolate ice cream. Oh, yeah, I get that. Power of suggestion compels you. Right? <laughs> uh, I'm getting like dried cranberry and like crystallized pineapple. Ooh, nice. I've never seen uh, pineapple in its crystallized form, but now I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> when you get that dried pineapple, sometimes it's got kind of a crystalline. Ah. Which, is, which goes back to that crystal definition of the malt, I think, is like when sugar gets that intense like density to it, like the sweetness, instead of being a burnt sweetness, crystals, crystal malting, I guess, would be like kind of that crystalline sweetness, when like rock candy or something like that. And I find when you're talking about European oak and French oak, because the tannin is so much more intense uh, in terms of like quantity that it extracts, it takes water a lot better. 
Mm-hmm. American oak, I feel like the change is not as dramatic, but with European and French oak, because that tannin is kind of tightening the whiskey up, a little water really does a great job on those. Wow. This has got some crazy notes going on to it. Like, I'm getting like a licorice, chocolate, a lot of spice. Like, yeah, like dark chocolate, mole, and like dehydrated meat. That is something else. Ooh. And how much evaporation is happening per year? So. How many cases can you expect? Now, this is a totally different ratio again because it's a slightly bigger barrel. Are you getting like 35 cases out of a barrel? Uh, so we're getting about 35 six-pack cases out okay. of a barrel. So that's, you know, 16, 17, 18, <clears throat> nine-liter cases, uh, which is a standard of measurement for 12 bottles, for those that don't know. Uh, but, yeah, we do six-pack cases. You get about 30 to 35 of them at cast strength. It's about 180 to 210 bottles. How much angel share are you guys seeing per year about? Probably about 125 to 13%. A little bit higher than the other guys. We're kind of comparable with like Taiwan and those kind of, uh, you know, uh, Southeastern Asian whiskey regions. Stuff. But a world apart from Scotland and Kentucky even. You know, For Scotland, sure. they're losing 1% or 2% a year. And by the time we bottle something at two years old, we've lost literally a quarter of it. That's crazy. And so a very different approach in the fermentation. A very different approach in the sourcing of the grains. A very different approach in terms of the maturation, different barrel sizes, different kinds of oak that you're then blending. That's very forward thinking, and, and that's what the craft distilling movement's all about. So thank you. Thank you very much, Winston, for coming and tasting your whiskeys with us. Does anyone else have any questions for Winston about the balcones? Yeah. Aged since you said you're <laughs> Good one, good one. Let's see. Bring it back around. You're good. All right, well, hold on. Any guesses how old any of this whiskey is? It's all about the same, so. Four years old? Three. 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 Ten. Two years. Two years. Very, very complex. We have a lot of things on our side, obviously making a really good spirit, using really high quality oak, literally the highest end oak that you can buy. And then we didn't even talk about the climate too much, but it talks about temperature a little bit, but Texas is pretty extreme of a climate to age whiskey in. So we had to buy those super high quality barrels to make whiskey in a short amount of time because it wasn't gonna work any other way. We used regular bourbon barrels that were six month yard age and then kiln dried, all the whiskey would taste like pencils. And I'm not in fifth grade anymore, so I don't eat pencils anymore. Oh, you knew what pencils tasted like. (laughs) So what about like when you were saying that the four-story building was super hot at the top? Did you guys ever do any rotation to keep up? Not really. That was way too much effort for what we could put into it. I mean, we're talking about, you know, 40 barrels at the time, full-size cast, along with about, you know, 200 to a thousand small five gallon oak barrels so rotating them was just like you'd literally have to just pick the barrel up and carry it somewhere you know like there was no like machinery in place to assist with these heavy duty liftings so yeah for the most part it's like when something got sat down somewhere it was staying there until it was done uh today it's a little bit different Um, We do have some air-conditioned sections of the building now, which is really nice. So if something is aging uh, or getting close to its peak, then we'll move it to a cooler area, slow it down, yes. 
Are you ever tanking any of your whiskeys, meaning that you like we've take done them out that, the yeah, and definitely. Storm we, in some glass we've tanked or some, some stuff, steel? Uh, just in stainless steel drums, basically. Um, you know, something that we're like, okay, it's done. We're not releasing it until later this year. We don't have the labels or anything done, so the only thing you can do is tank it. You don't want to go any further. Yeah. With where it's at. Beautiful stuff. Yes. Is right there on. any uh, whiskey yes. that Volcanus makes that is aged long? Ah, so we are getting ready to release our oldest whiskeys later this year. They will be some five-year-old single malts. They are aged in really, really, really used barrels, so they're going to be a far cry away from what we've been tasting tonight, which is all new oak. And the longer or more times you use a barrel, you get diminishing returns out of it. So it's going to be very light whiskey in comparison in terms of the oak profile, but it'll be very developed on the spirit and on the malt profile. Let's come up with rumble spirit. It started as a dessert sauce. Uh, one of our distillers is cooking a celebratory dinner for a former colleague, and uh, for dessert, he did his own take on Bananas Fosters. And for the sauce, instead of just making like a straight caramel sauce, he added honey and figs to it. So sugar, honey, and figs in the pan, you know, pour off some brandy, flame that in the pan, and he smelled it, and he's like, the only way we can improve this sauce is if we distilled it. So we did. <laughs> and that's Rumble in a nutshell. Wow. And that's great. the spirit of Texas right there, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> well, Winston, thanks for coming out tonight. It was great having you, man. It was my pleasure. My pleasure. For sure. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show was produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget, drink to remember. <laughs> <laughs>